is the 911 Calls Podcast with the operator and his... Uh, who is Kent? Uh, the paper just says Kent. What am I... What am I supposed to just say Kent right here? Yeah, just say Kent. That's all. Yep. Does he have a title or anything? No, no, he he doesn't have a title uh, or anything. He's... Yep. Just say Kent. <sighs> with Kent... Kent County 911. Hi, my name is Stephen Rodwold, and uh, I just had to shoot my dad. Okay, where are you at? 92 State Route 60 North, New London, Ohio, 44851. Okay, why did you have to shoot him? Oh, hi, Kent. Oh. <coughs> Hey, I y'all. caught you mid vape drag there. Yeah. <laughs> Funny thing about vape, I thought I saw this and I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. I was driving behind a minivan today and this they had like gotten a vinyl cut sticker of their baby's feet and they're very detailed. And because I do vinyl cutting a lot, I was looking at it and I'm just like, man, that's a lot of weeding right there to get that sticker just right. And I was looking at it and it said baby on board. So they had like a custom sticker made of their kids' little feet. And then the light goes green, they pull off. I'm behind him, and all of a sudden, there's this, like, massive white cloud of vape smoke coming out of the car. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) I'm sure it's fine. Every time I see one of those baby on board stickers, I don't know if it's because I'm always in true crime and just, like, (laughs) swimming around in the most darkest, disturbing shit. I just imagine a a toddler nailed to a (laughs) two-by-four. Baby on board. <laughs> That's fun. Do you do you know the reason for those for those signs? By the way, uh, no, but I do know that uh, having a baby on board sign in your back window has never stopped somebody from being rear-ended <laughs> at 120 miles an hour. Right? Nobody is ever like getting ready to hit you and been like, oh, oh, gee, Willikers, there's a baby on board. I better swerve. <laughs> Okay, here's the reason for the stick, for for either the decal or the the sign. In an accident, oftentimes, first responders come and look for big bodies. But a baby, especially one that's been thrown around a car, could could go unnoticed. Also, it could be in the trees. It could be, well, you're not lying. I actually, one of my best friends, and I hate it when people say one of my best friends and they're talking about somebody that died, but in this case, he was one of my best friends, was driving down the freeway at night around 10 p.m. with his wife and his baby in the back. Baby was seven months old. They're driving, and these drunk dudes had gotten on the off-ramp and were coming the wrong way down the freeway. And just around a bend where you couldn't see what the headlights were doing in front of you, this car comes around, just hits him straight in the front, Kills kills my friend. The mom was in a, a coma for like a bunch of time, but the baby died as well. But because they had the baby on board sticker, they looked for the baby and they're like, oh my gosh, this baby's not there. The baby was not there. There was no car seat or anything. And so they were trying to figure out where the baby was. One of the first people on scene had grabbed the baby car seat, pulled it out of the car, and put it, like, down in the grass, like, 
30 feet off of the freeway. So without that sign, all of that could have happened. And this person's thinking they're saving the baby by putting it down there. But the baby could have been left there. And the baby had died, though, so... Anyway, that's why there's those signs. So they'll look for the baby. They put the they took the baby out in the car seat yeah. and just set it in the grass. Set it because there was it was a massive wreck. And so they they pulled the car seat out. Somebody comes up, they see that there's a baby there. This car's a total disaster. The the dad's dead. There's blood everywhere. They pull the car seat out to just set set it aside. So please tell me that if they didn't die. Those two men are in prison for the rest of their lives. What I can tell you is they were both really super drunk, so their bodies were real limber, and they didn't die. One of them lost a hand because of some part of the impact, and they were both um, deported because they were here illegally. Fucking idiots. So they're probably here again, I guess you could say. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I get this rage in my chest with drunk drivers. Yeah. Especially whenever I find out they've killed somebody or I, I've had uh one, two, like four members of my family killed by drunk drivers. Really, man. Yeah. So I don't know, man. That's one of those things where I just, my face starts getting hot. Cause there's always that dipshit that's like, I'll drive better when I'm drunk. I could, I could drive. Like, no, you fucking idiot. Yeah. You cannot. And, uh, and when you kill somebody, I don't, I don't know. This is a topic I'm gonna. I get. I get passionate about. I. Oh, I hear driving. you. I chuckle at the sign that hangs out over the freeway here that says, "Remember, don't drive drunk." And I'm like, that's the weirdest sign because the one thing that goes when you get drunk is your sense of judgment. <laughs> so you know, there's there's just. It's also kind of a frightening thought to think at 2 a.m. bars close. There's a lot of cars on the road. The, the, the likelihood that there are a lot of drunk drivers on the road is fr- is kind of frightening. Also, it's sort of a bummer that more drunk drivers aren't hitting dr- drunk drivers and kind of, you know, clearing the field. <laughs> but we should. we should change the subject. <laughs> no. Oh. We should. I'm going to take it okay. further. <laughs> we should designate a drunk driving hour and I think... Be like, all the non-drunk drivers, don't be on the road in this hour, and then switch up the traffic lanes. (laughs) And I'd be all for that. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I could just see it, though. You know, we we don't want to hurt anybody, so all the roads— Let the problem take care of itself. It's like it's like the when you when your kid goes to bowl at the bowling lane, suddenly the bumpers come down onto the side of the lane, like on the road. It's like— And they just get a kind of ping pong. And one thing that pisses me off is watching some sniffling little bitch at at sentencing because they they got drunk and and murdered and killed somebody at sentencing crying because their life is ruined. Yeah. And it makes me want to like just kill them right there in the courtroom. Just jump the, just like wish I was there. Then just sniffling. (laughs) Yeah. Like. No, fuck you and fuck your family and go to prison and rot in a fucking cell for the rest. Kill a whole family. Uh, you know what's sad about that is most of them don't. Most of them don't go to prison for a long time. But even when they do, it's because they feel bad that they, it's not that they killed a bunch of right. people because they were drunk driving. Yeah. It's, oh, I've ruined my life. Yeah, well, you killed a whole family yeah. that were on their way to TGI Fridays to have mozzarella sticks. <laughs> 
true. It's true. I like looking at the arrest reports, the mugshots in my, my county. And it there is something. I mean, it, it's an overstatement to say there's a certain, you know, brand of people that get caught drunk driving because everybody gets caught. I mean, there is no one type of person. But there are sure a lot of sorry-looking, like, mid, middle-aged men and women who, you know, look like they just walked out of a accounting firm <laughs> that are like, oh, their face is like, oh, this is really going to suck. It's that and frat douches. Yeah. And sorority hoes. We've got a college campus. You have a college campus, too. So we see a lot of— Yeah, uh, I live on a college campus. We see a lot of football players. Fortunately, I live on a campus of a school— I, You know, i got to brag about this college. Very responsible partiers. Hmm. Good. Um, but it's a very—the uh, camp- the campus that I live on at college is hard to get into. It's a—I uh, don't know if it's Ivy. I don't even know what Ivy League means. To be honest, you're in you're in Kentucky, so I'm gonna say it's not Ivy. <laughs> Hold on, just a minute. Let me look. Let me okay. look. All right. So yes, it's a the the campus that I live on. It's prestigious. Okay. It's a prestigious school. They make a lot of doctors, but you know, right down from my house, there's a bunch of frat houses and sorority houses, and the the young men and women there are always super respectful and cool, and they party from time to time. They're being young kids, and you know. We've never had any problems with like they always they just seem like good kids, all of them. I'm sure they drink and have fun, but they seem to do it responsibly. Like I would go as far as to say this. I think in some cases certain colleges de- um denote uh more focused than others. Like like I I'm right near Boise State University, which is sort of like a smattering of everything. You could go and get a gender studies degree, be a be a football player that might end up on a pro team uh, or, or you know, go go become a scientist. Uh, so it's kind of a broad yeah. range. But I think oftentimes with colleges like that, there is a lot of a large portion of the population that doesn't know what they want to be yet. So they're going to blast through two or three years in just generals before they really nail it down. The college loves that. But I'd say in some cases, like prestigious colleges or colleges where they're they're cranking at a certain type of of uh You're you're getting the cream of the crop. So they're not a bunch of people with no goals and no compass or anything. They're there. I think yeah. the kids probably here are here for the reason they're supposed to be and the partying and everything is kind of if I have time after my studies and after my classes. Yes, I will partake in some alcohol. Right. I think that's probably why we don't see a lot of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, they come here. in focused. Whether it's their focus or their parents' focus, they come in with a purpose where, you know, that's a lot of money to throw at three years of generals trying to figure out what you want to do with your life. So, well, I have a question for you. Okay. Hey, Kent. Mm. Hey, has there Hello. ever been anything in your life where because you went through it, you felt motivated to get more involved with the cause? Like, I'll give you a couple examples. Like, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation focuses on treatment of malaria because of some life experiences they had with malaria. You know, um, you know, you, you hear that, until I went through it, I really never saw these people for what they were, and now I champion their cause. Has there ever been anything like that? Obviously, you're not, like, out there stumping for something, but is there anything, like, where you find 
that a portion of your brain is now like, no, I, I get these people now, or I get this disease, or I get this. There's got to be something. Give me a minute. Okay. So, hmm. I, I dated a girl, and this is actually kind of fitting, I guess. Mm. I, I dated a girl uh, when, I was, when I was younger that had multiple sclerosis. Okay. And uh, I guess I got really into, like, learning about multiple, multiple sclerosis and, uh, and, like, the diet, the specific diets that they are supposed to eat and understanding the disease and what it does and, you know, expectations and, and just... Uh, so I, I I didn't like start making signs and marching to Washington or anything mm-hmm. about, but I guess I became super aware of multiple sclerosis, and uh, and that's the that's the, probably the close and that's probably the closest thing I can think of is date, dating that girl that had multiple sclerosis and and uh, becoming super interested in what causes that, what it does. And uh, and how to combat it. Isn't it interesting how, as humans, so much and so many things that are important and critical and just really, there's a lot of gravity behind certain things like multiple sclerosis or malaria or poverty or so many things but that we don't engage or find passion about it until we have personal experience with it. I, I th- That it's dismissive. Well, there's too many diseases, yeah, right. man. Exactly. You can't. Yeah. You can't be a champion for. <laughs> exactly. There's nine million cancers alone before. That's... Yeah. It's dismissive <laughs> to think or, or it'd be stupid to try to finger wag. It's unrealistic. Exactly. To be like, you can't care about everything. You would never get anything right. done. I, I find it just always so interesting, though, how once once we our attention is captured by something, it could literally become our new life goal, our life mission, our our passion. Yeah, and it's interesting how our lives sometimes takes just a hard right because of our exposure to X, Y, or Z thing, and suddenly we're like, "This is what's important." The rest of my life wasn't, you know, or this. You know, it's, I find that really fascinating. Fascinating. Um, I really, I don't know that I have anything like that, though, that I can think of. I'm super interested in a billion things, like, and I try to be sort of learned on a lot, but I, I haven't, I don't think I've really come across anything where, like, it's become my mission in life to kind of move the needle on it. I wouldn't say it was like my mission or like I changed my diet to suit her because I didn't want to, like they say people with MS, um, they should stay away from gluten. So I, I, if I, the way I figured if like, you know, at the time I was dating this girl and at the time, you know, when you're dating, when you're young, it's like, well, this is a girl I'm going to marry. So I might as well, I don't want, I don't want to eat this stuff that she would enjoy that she can't eat. So I'll just, I'll eat like I have MS. Right. So we, so I started eating like I had MS and avoiding gluten and everything. But, uh, I mean, I didn't like wrap my life around <laughs> like, trying to race. But you changed your life, you know, to to compensate. I changed. For- yeah. I, by the way, I'm not. After we broke up, I went back to eating whatever the hell I wanted. But <laughs> right. um, yeah, you broke up and went to a Pizza Hut right away. <laughs> yeah, I probably did. Yeah, stuffed crust, extra gluten. I will say, like, I think the cl- <laughs> I think the closest thing that got me was my son, Sam 2.0, was diagnosed with autism or, you know, Asperger's, which is a high-functioning form. 
And uh, the process of trying to get him treatment was so rigorous, and there was no good roadmap anywhere to be found. And once you're in into treatment and everything, it becomes sort of your life. Your life becomes wrapped around this thing. So you forget that there are all these other people that have no idea how to find the road either. And uh, it's getting better, but but I, I still think even down to the locality, down to cities, it's still very hard to find good resources and good resource networks for, for something like autism. And I, I, I'm, I wish I had done more so far, you know, helping other people find good resources for that. But that's probably the closest that I got, I would say, is awareness around autism would be a thing. I see a lot of autism in you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that's part of the reason why I'm so passionate about it. You didn't get like a full, <laughs> like a full brush stroke <laughs> of it. It was just like a little that, you know, like a happy tree, the way Bob Ross, <laughs> you just, just got like a little do, 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 do. one little piece of flair. Just enough to make your hand go crazy when you get frustrated. I know my my son sure rejoices when he sees some autistic trait come out, and he's like, "Dad, you're, you're worse than I am." I'm like, "Yeah, I know." Stay, keep your eyes on the road because he's driving. Now. You are so sweaty. Oh, it is so I, 82 degrees in there. I'm gonna check. It's, you are just glistening. Oh my you gosh! Look, look at what temperature. You look like we're talking 84. To, you're you're sweating like we're talking about the tops Buffalo New York shooting. Oh my gosh! Mash. <laughs> It's literally on our page right here. Don't bring that up. <laughs> okay, so we, we, didn't, we didn't say that. Say moving, that. On. moving on. Oh my goodness. Um, but I, I think it's interesting when that kind of thing happens, and you know, it'll happen to all of us at one point in our life. We we'll become passionate about something. It might stay, or it might go, or it might become a phase. But I always think it's fascinating. Okay. Ahead of the call for this episode, I wanted to give listeners a special sample call. The kind of call that we've been covering over on 911 calls plus 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 uh it's become I, if you've ever heard 911 calls plus the show you've probably noticed that it's 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 evolved when we first started doing 911 calls plus we were like oh man we have so many calls let's just do another show and make people pay for it <laughs> you know they're that desperate to hear people's 911 calls um, but what what ended up happening was something recently, a little while ago, I decided to do an episode just full of calls that I had accumulated that uh, they're all really good, but either they're too short or there's not enough uh, information about them to warrant a whole episode or I've like run into a dead end about them uh, in my research. I know it probably sounds like I just simply have all of the information on these calls in my upper head all the time, but I don't. And a lot of my research can go into making one of these episodes. I, I usually give myself this little tiny routine, a period of about maybe 30 minutes to hunt down information on a call. And this is just the preliminaries on a call. So I give myself 30 minutes and that includes, I got, yeah, you're still scouting. Yeah. Yeah. I got to find like point, yeah. what's going on within the call. Can I find anything on it? Uh, what news was known about it shortly thereafter? Like who, who reported on it and, and then leading to anything, uh, that had tr transpired after the phone call took place. Is there enough meat right, on this know. bone? Yeah, I do the same thing with TCK yeah. when I'm deciding the topic. Court cases or other bits of information. And then finally, I, I'm 
most of the time, I don't like open, open, no closure types of things. So I gravitate toward calls where I can end it with what happened after all of this, you know, how did it wrap up? How did it end up? So if after a 30 minute session of hunting down the leads to these parts of what I would consider to be a decent episode, if I haven't been able to connect enough dots, then the call that I've been working on goes into a folder, which I have up until recently just ignored altogether, but I cobbled five of these calls together for a recent uh, plus episode and told Jack that uh, they were five from this bin of kind of misfit calls. I think I said something like I have to, I, I, so I've pulled some of the top five from this collection and he's like, you mean like the bottom five and it kind of stuck. So we found that it was fun, fun. It was interesting to cobble these like kind of misfit calls together they're all, for one reason or another, they're all worth hearing, but something about them makes them a misfit. So I want to share. So is this a, a co compilation episode? No, not this one. Not where we're at. But I, I wanted to share one of the misfit calls with you in a second. Okay. Uh, but, but really quickly, there was another really cool thing that started happening after we started doing these plus episodes. Uh, some people started to recognize a call here and there, or they remembered a certain call that made headlines in their local news. And people started filling in the gaps by messaging us, uh, the breaking leads into the research that I was missing. So it's been a kind of a cool byproduct of, of releasing a bunch of misfit calls onto everybody's earballs. And now some of these misfit calls might just become full episodes and those people that helped break the case or give us additional research, they get shout outs uh, because now enough's been found to make them worthy of a full story. A story's always there on each of these calls. Uh, it's just whether or not I can find enough to lead me down a path in making a full episode, you know? So. Yeah. You're so sweaty. I'm so sweaty. It's 80, 84 degrees in here. I have an AC unit, but I have to set it up because I took it down during the winter because I didn't need it during the winter, but now I do. Recording with you and Jack, it's like fire and ice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in hell. And then I'm in the medium. <laughs> I'm just sitting here cozy. In Kentucky. Just happy. Jack's wearing 12 layers of clothes. He looks like the little kid from A Christmas Story <laughs> trying to get to his recording. Then you're out there naked, <laughs> sunburns, even though you're inside. I'll tell you one thing. From a producer standpoint, Jack has really put me through the ringer with the clothing that he wears to try to stay warm. Uh, sometimes there's so much crickle, crackle, crickle happening in the background because he's wearing like <laughs> literally like yeah. some kind of like plastic, you know, power suit to to. Sounds like a <laughs> like a dance club in 1992 if the music was off. Exactly. Everybody wearing those <laughs> windbreaker. <laughs> yeah, you look like you look like Ace Ventura when he's inside that rhino. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it. I feel like it. it is so hot. I can't even tell you. Oh, yeah, if you faint, what is the number? Text me a number to call. <laughs> I'm a, I'm worried you're gonna die. 
while we're recording well, this. Well, my head and microphone area where my head space is is one thing, but I have a gaming PC and my MacBook Pro down by my feet, and the gaming PC currently has Red Dead Redemption 2 on pause because I'm in the middle of a mission. If I quit, I'll lose my progress. So I've got this gaming PC with like 4,000 megs of RAM and a monster video card blasting that heat from all those fans onto my shins. So I am dying in here. I can just see from here how still the air is in there. The molecules haven't moved so much as one atom to the left or right in the atmosphere around you. I wish the the audience could. You keep blinking, like trying to get the sweat out, and your shirt is soaking wet. It's sweltering in here. You look like you're recording a podcast in a booth in Kuwait. <laughs> it feels like it. I'm glad at least somebody gets to experience what I deal with, at least because of my mistakes and not getting my air conditioning set up. Ugh. Okay. All right. So here, here's an example of the type of call that would make it onto a 911 Calls Plus episode. And on each of the Plus episodes, we bring you five of these intense calls and at least one happy ending uh, to kind of round it out at the end. Uh, it's been nice to sort of fill a void that I felt um, for a while with the free show. And some people just like to be barraged with 911 calls. And some people are like, more call, please, less talking. So 911 Calls Plus, it's a great platform for these calls. This is this feels like a pitch. I guess it sort of is, but it's also a really cool show. Um, and uh, it generates a lot of conversation both on and off the episodes themselves. Okay. All right. If you're ready, I'm going to go ahead and play this 911 Calls Plus sample. Yeah, call. while we're doing that, drink some I'm water. Hydrate. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Cleveland 911, state emergency. I'm like, guys, it's that Scotland over by the grill doors. I need 911. Here, flying. It's like I'm cutting through. Okay. You need, you need to hurry up now. Well, tell me where you are. Like Gunderson's. Yeah. And someone got ran over by a rail car? Excuse me. Yeah, I'm about to pass out. You got ran over? Yes. Okay, where are you at there in Gunderson's? I understand you're in Cleburne, Texas. Stay on the yeah, line for me. Southwest. Southwest? Okay, tell, tell me your name. Tell me your name, sir. Him. Okay, can you stay on the line for me, please? Stay, stay with me here. Stay on the line, okay? Oh, <laughs> that is brutal. <laughs> and can you, I've got thousands of these, right? And I'm listening to him and constantly just like, oh my gosh, the story. I mean, this guy's life changed right then, but I can't find enough on it. But in this case, actually, I do have a bit of info, info on this one. It just, I didn't, I didn't have enough to make it into a whole episode, but I wanted to show everybody kind of like, what's going, you know, what we're covering and that we cover five of them. And what's really neat is we cover five 
And I might not have been able to find enough info. The call might have been too, you know, kind of too short to justify or whatever. But it's been really cool to kind of see the boots on the ground effort of seeing listeners say, hey, oh, that actually happened in my town. And then they're like, this, hey, here's a link. And and then I'm I'm on to something and I can make more out of it. So anyway, I do have a bit of info on this one. So this one would have made it into a plus, uh, but there isn't really much story to be told except for right around the actual incident. You know, I don't have backstory or forward story, really. Uh, but it still is a pretty amazing story, <clears throat> and I'm kind of happy to share it here. So this accident on this call occurred in June of 2006, while Duncan, an employee at Gunderson Southwest in Cleburne, Texas, was attempting to connect two train cars together. One of the train cars hit him in the chest and dragged him under. Uh, he said, I tried to outrun it, but as you can see, the train won. Uh, he said, it, it got my right leg first, right around the ankle, and it felt like a monster pulling me in. He ended up being pulled about 75 feet by the train. Uh, he, he went on to say, another worker looked under the train after I had stopped and looked at me and said, it's not good. Duncan found his cell phone, which he later said that he was surprised was still attached to him after the train had literally cut him in half. Somehow, Duncan managed to call 911, the call that you just heard, and after that, he actually called his family. He says, my daughter answered, and of course she wanted to joke around and talk. Uh, I didn't want to worry her, but I finally had to say, baby, get your mama on the phone. Uh, when first responders uh, arrived, Duncan said that a care flight nurse gave him some medication that knocked me out, and I woke up a month later. Uh, um, he spent four months at Harris Methodist Fort Worth, Fort Worth Hospital, undergoing 23 operations in 41 days. Uh, Dr. David Smith, the surgeon and medical director of Harris, Harris Methodist Trauma Center, said he considered it a miracle that Duncan arrived at the hospital still alive. He, he said, I haven't ever seen a trauma case like this. He said, nothing so massive where the patient survived. We were seeing anatomy from a viewpoint that we don't usually see anatomy. Yeah, that's because the train opened him up like a cheap knife through the middle of a burrito. Uh, you know, so doctors are funny in the way they put things. Oh, we couldn't believe the anatomy we were getting to see on this guy who's still alive, and I got to reconnect him. Amazing. He still has the cell phone, apparently, that he had when, uh, when the accident happened. He says it still works. Uh, he said because of this, he hopes to focus more attention on handicapped people. And he said he didn't pay much attention until he lost both of his legs. Uh, and he was fitted with prosthetics and it changed his life, you know, in that one moment. What a badass. Yeah, really. Right. Crazy. What a bad to have to just get cut in half and then be like, I need to call somebody. <laughs> yeah. This is not an ideal situation to be in. I would just be screaming for like <laughs> my fucking legs. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and you could hear the you could hear the shock kicking in on the call. You know the way his, yeah, yeah. he was just barely there, barely barely able to stay coherent. 
But uh, yeah, so anyway, so that's the kind of call that makes it onto 911 calls plus, plus, plus. And we cover five of them. Some of them, I will say, have a whole lot less detail than that. But they always kind of leave a pit in your stomach or something where you're like, I need to know more. And that's one of the so this reasons. guy survived and he's doing well now. Obviously, he's in a wheelchair, but. Yeah, he survived. He got prosthetics and he was reassigned to the billing department at the company and, you know, just powered through, moved right along and, uh, you know, figured out how to pull himself up by his. Don't. Do not. Bootstraps. Sorry. It had already started coming out. I had to finish finish it. Uh, so I guess since Pull I... self up by his shirt tails. <laughs> <laughs> well, since I guess that was sort of like one giant pitch, I'll just end by saying, so if that sounds like a... If that's... <laughs> so if that sounds like your cup of blood, you can find 911 Calls Plus Plus by clicking on any of the subscriber content in the Apple Podcasts app and subscribing or going to apple.co forward slash 1159media. Yeah, Apple actually made us some special vanity URLs that nobody else has yet. That's how much Apple likes us right now. Fun fact to no one share, Apple's been talking to us a lot lately, and we think... Yeah, they're, they're featuring us. <laughs> they're going to feature us. I don't even know what that means, but I've heard from I other... I either. You and Jack have been talking about it. Yeah. For a week, two weeks now, and I don't even know what any of it means. Yeah. You might as well be speaking Braille. We know a couple podcasters who have been featured on Apple, and it has done big things for their business. We're trying to stay hopefully uh, optimistic, but we don't know. So, you know, we're we're us, and we're not everybody's cup of tea. So we'll see. I'm kind of surprised. I mean, the, like... This last week, I talked to like five people at Apple, and they're preparing all this like graphics and everything. And I'm like, "Have you guys listened to the show? Because you might want to." <laughs> but hey, if they're willing to, I'll just roll with it, I guess. Uh, well, all right. Well, it's been fun being here. <laughs> uh, I, uh, it's a good episode. I like it when you keep them short. Yeah, short and sweet, like this. Actually, we haven't even gotten into the call yet. Oh, fucking. But it's two bullets away, so here we go. All right, now to the call for this episode on 911 Calls Not Plus Plus Plus. Uh, this one takes place in 2009 at a house hmm. where a father and son lived. One day, they got into a kerfuffle, and this call is the result of said kerfuffle. Are you ready for me to hit play? I'll play it so hard. Oh Daddy. my gosh. <laughs> Here we go. You're in County 911. Hi. My name is Stephen Rodwold, and uh, I just had to shoot my dad. Okay. Where are you at? 92, State Route 60 North, New London, Ohio, 44851. Okay. Why did you have to shoot him? Because he was going to get a gun that was going to shoot me. Okay. Are you still there at that address? Yes, I am. Okay. Okay. Can you hold on one second? Yep. Okay. Okay, sir? Yep. Okay. Is your father... Uh, Keith. Okay. Is he? Okay. Okay. I have my officers en route. Okay. What they need for you to do when they get there is for you to put down your gun and step out of the door 
to make sure. He's lying outside here. There's no way. Okay. Well, when you see them, you need to put your gun down. Okay. And, you know. I'll have it unloaded. Pardon? I'll have it unloaded. Okay. The gun will be sitting on the porch okay. in the belt. Okay. Well, just hold on the line with me, okay? Okay. 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 All right. <laughs> so matter of fact. Serious. Hey, how you doing? Uh, my name is Randy. Just shot my dad. <laughs> get somebody out here. Oh, yeah, he's dead. He's laying out front there. If you could just come get him. Uh, I like how he said, w- when she said, well, why did you have to shoot him? He said, because he was going to get a gun that was going to shoot me. And I thought in my head that was a weird, like, visual where, like, the dad's like, gun, come here. And the gun comes in. Yeah, he in was going to go, hey, <laughs> come here, listen to what this boy said to me. And gun's like, not again. Bang. Fucking hell. I'll go shoot him. <laughs> people kill people, not guns or something. Also, this call happened in Texas, which you should remember because Texas has some pretty solid stand your ground laws. And that's basically the argument this guy's having here. Really quick. Hey, wait, whose house was it? Um, th- it was their own house. What do you mean? Like they were both living there. They were both living there. Yeah, I believe it was the I don't know how house. stand your ground works whenever I mean, I think stand your ground is more beneficiary like if somebody breaks into your yeah. house. Yeah. Right. I would think so, too. It is a pretty broad uh, self-defense law, which, you know, some say might you want to, might want to curtail that. But And also, when you say he was going to get a gun. Going. It really is like, if he doesn't have the gun, how do you know he wasn't going to get a Mike's Hard Lemonade? Yeah. <laughs> or right. the phone to call the police because you've got a gun on him. Right. Was he, did he say, son... I am going into the bedroom right now to get a gun, and when I tell this gun what you said to me, it is going to come in here and kill you. That's the way it it's like you can't make the argument that he was going to go get a gun. None of this holds up in court. Well, partially, mostly because it's you know it's his word against a dead guy. Like, yeah, you know, if he hadn't gotten it yet. So what did the gun say when it found out about all this? That's what I. Want. <laughs> uh. Hey, oh, I have a question for you. Hey, what what kind of skill did you need uh, personally to show that you had in mastering the weapon that you shot in the American United States services in conflicts abroad overseas defending American freedom? Hmm. I don't know. Like when they when they when they graded your you, ability. Like I'm to, saying I don't know what we were defending. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm. Um, when they were grading you to say, yep, okay, Kent gets to shoot this gun. Like, what what, what skills did you have to manifest or show that you That's actually very simple. Okay. The answer to that is very simple. Okay. So I was chosen in infantry school to be a machine gunner. Mm-hmm. And the one thing they want in a machine gunner is somebody that scored high in mechanical skills because you have a test that you take where they grade you on separate skills. Um, typically, the guys that are really good at, like, math and stuff get assigned to be mortarmen. Um, because there's a lot of angles oh, and yeah. shit that I don't understand that w- with Physics. firing mortars. But guys that score high on mechanical skills, understanding of moving components, motors, and stuff, a lot of times uh, get thrown into machine guns because there's so many parts mm. to a machine gun to take apart. And sometimes you have to do it in very stressful situations. But also, the simplest answer to your question is a mule. They want somebody that can carry large amounts of weight 
for a <laughs> indefinitely. Because uh, I had to carry a Mark 19 once. You know what a Mark 19 is? Uh, no. Is that the same one that... Um... It's a 40 millimeter grenade launcher. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's not what I was thinking. It is really heavy. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's been so long since I had to scream weights of of guns into people that were yelling at me's face. I don't even remember. Let me look this up real quick. Because once I got to... Uh, to the fleet, my primary weapon became an M240 Bravo, and then the 50 cal on the Mark 19 kind of became wayside because of the unit that I was with. How much does a Mark? So a Mark 19 weighs 77 pounds. Oh my gosh! Um, I had to carry that on a uh, on a 5k. Oh my gosh! Are you kidding? How long is a 5k? So that's three miles. That doesn't even. Uh, and you have to carry it crossed across your back like a crucifixion. It's the only way to carry it because it's so big and bulky. So <laughs> when they're looking for machine gunners, first off the mechanical scores, but also just somebody that can handle that weight without dying. Uh, so they usually gravitate towards like Bigger dudes. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's why the machine gunners are always beefy kind of kind of dudes. And one, one, so, yeah, you just got to be a mule. That's that's it. That's basically mule, don't die, pull the trigger. Yeah. Yeah, that's why the machine gunners kind of in movies and stuff, like uh, in like Full Metal Jacket, if you remember Animal yeah. from Full Metal Jacket, just this simple-minded Neanderthal. Well, they always machine gunners are always in movies and everything like painted as these like cavemen, basically cavemen with guns. That's <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, uh, w- one of the reasons I asked was was because it if, if seems like judgment would have to also be a factor. Um, I've seen, uh, you know, I've watched a lot of discovery shows on like, you know, the Helmand province and stuff like that. And it seems like you can't just have guys that are so emotionally wound tight that they're just shooting at everything that you've got to be able to show some discretion under Maybe. pressure. Would you agree? For the, for the show's sake. <laughs> yeah, we'll say. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's what I, I mean. I've I sent a lot of rounds. <laughs> Uh, I do not know where they ended Into up. a lot of faces. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, y- yeah, you can't just be firing into, you know, households with babies and stuff in them. You've got a, it's a very dangerous fully automatic weapon. The only yeah. fully automatic weapon actually on the battlefield aside from a two forty nine saw, which I don't think they use in the infantry anymore. So, um, yes. Mm, you got to have some judgment. You got to have some you discretion. Gotta, yes. Especially when, like, uh, basic infantrymen are moving on objectives, right? Because then you get into friendly fire right. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, you can't. I mean, they're always painted as machine gunners are always painted as Neanderthals, but you have to have some sen- a lot of sense, a lot of common sense. And that's where the training comes into play is understanding um, when the 11s are moving on objectives and knowing when to push your fires to the left or right. Yeah. And not shooting one of your 
fellow Marines in the face. Or a non non combatant. Or a four year old child with a dreidel. Um I don't know why they got dreidels out there. But they got them. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of the same. Like I had my concealed carry permit before my state actually came out and said, Hey, it's now legal to carry concealed without a permit. Like it's just cool. You can do that. And instantly in my head, I'm like, ah, oh, I really don't want that for a lot of reasons, you know, because judgment goes out the window with a lot of people when they're under really high pressure situations. And one where you think you could pull your gun in that situation is not really one where I want you to have no training just because the state said you can carry. Uh, and I have kind of the same views on like uh, stand your ground laws in states where it's like self-defense can be justified pretty easily because I think a lot of people just kind of check that box and are like, all right, well, I'll just keep going on me at all times. And if something happens, you know, I'll argue it in court. And it seems to me kind of weak sauce. It's kind of weak sauce, super weak sauce. Um, well, after this call in particular, uh, Stephen was arrested uh, when the cops showed up, he was like 50-50 on being helpful. He unloaded the gun that he used to shoot his father. Turns out he shot him six times with the three fifty seven Magna because his father had threatened to shoot him, had threatened to shoot him. Uh, Stephen felt it was necessary to shoot his father before his father could go get the gun. Fun fact, that's not self-defense. Um, there's a big difference between threats and threats to one's life when it comes to the legal, you know, mixing and mashing of what's actually legal and not legal. In this case, yes, as there should be. Yeah. In this case, Stephen wouldn't have been justified in shooting a gun at a threat until the gun posed a credible threat to his own life by brandishing the gun. And some states may argue that he they would have to aim the gun directly at him in order to you know, even stand a chance of arguing self-defense. So pretty crazy. Oh, hey, Kent, when you listen to podcasts, do you usually skip the ads? Every time, yes. You do. Have you ever heard yeah. one of my ads, though? Uh, I've skipped them. Ah, so. I'm kidding. No. <laughs> I haven't listened to your podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, here's an ad for you. Okay, we're back. All right. The judge during Stephen's arraignment set his bond at $1 million. And at trial, his attorneys tried to make the case for his innocence through self-defense. But there were some more weird things that didn't really help Stephen's case. One, when police arrived, they found his father dead outside and Stephen was inside. And when they told him to come out, he refused to do that. He also nailed the front door shut and barricaded it and the back door so nobody could enter. So police had to resort to coming through a window to apprehend him, which his attorney said went without incident. Uh, sounds like one of those, I'm not resisting kind of video situations, yeah. you know, where they're obviously resisting the whole time. Um, anyway, so the officers had to wait until the next day to enter the premises because they needed to gain a, a search warrant because all they were allowed to do at that time was apprehend him. Uh, so they got that and they said that they found a substantial amount of evidence inside and inside the house and on the deck 
which is where the apparent shooting took place, which was, I guess, more or less damning evidence. Now, ultimately, Stephen lost his case of self-defense and is currently spending his summers in the Marion Correctional Institution in Marion, Ohio. Uh, He is scheduled to be released in 2027. So... Hugs, everybody. Hugs, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but don't on that. Um, hey, how about a <laughs> hey, how about a happy ending? <laughs> I'm sorry. There's just not a lot to add. No, there isn't. You know, and you know what I mean? Like This one barely, we were talking about 911 Calls Plus. This one barely eked its way in because there was enough. And... And the quote, uh, the, the the sound bite is pretty hefty where he's like, I had to shoot my dad. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. If there's enough here, this is where he was going to go tail the gun. <laughs> <laughs> and that gun does not like me. Um, so, yeah. So, like I said, you know, they're not always winners. How have I gotten to episode 73? This, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't. I mean, I've not understood the success of the show from one, so I don't. <laughs> Me neither. Uh, as apparently Apple does, so I don't know. Oh man, I do have a happy ending though. If you want to hear it, absolutely. Okay, this, I always say yes to a happy ending. This one's gosh. All right. Well, I I dread saying the next sentence, but uh, are you ready for me to hit play? Yeah. Oh. Gotta hit my buttons. Oh gosh. <laughs> Here we go. Emergency 911. My iPhone not working. Your iPhone? It has something to do with Apple. I don't know At the end of the call, that was it. Just like this is a conversation. I feel like that ninety eight percent of Apple owners have had at some point with somebody else. At least, maybe not a nine one one operator. So, well, I have a fucking Android. Here, here's a fun fact about that, though. Uh, do, so the problem he was having most likely was that uh, you can take any cell phone. You could go to your like grandma's drawer and find her dead cell phone that hasn't had service for years and charge it up and you can actually still call 911 with it yeah yeah and so that's what's happening here he just doesn't know that like he didn't pay his bill or there's some problem and so he's figured out somehow that the only number that works is 911 and he thinks he's gonna get tech support from them so uh, How amazing heart. would it have been if this if this operator just walked him through? <laughs> like if she's <laughs> okay, now you're going to want to right click on the. <laughs> yeah. 
That would be sweet. Yeah, it's happened before. Yeah. We heard the 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 operator help the kid with his math homework. That was pretty cool. That was very wholesome, heartwarming. Now, that was probably back in the day before you ever even had a twinkle in your eye about uh, knowing you'd be on this show. I believe so. Yeah. Not that you've yeah. ever listened to the show, but you know, it's true. <laughs> Well, it's been a pleasure having you here. That's all I've got this time. Has it? That's all I got. Unless you have anything else you want to add. Nope. I think you really delivered this time, Poppy. <laughs> Gosh. All right. On that note, I'm going to go. You never leave me disappointed. <laughs> Every time you do that, the hymns just go off in my head. And uh, watch more beads of sweat. <laughs> it's because it's correct. Gather on your forehead. Just when I thought it wasn't. Just so I'm not, oh my gosh, just so I'm not lying. You say the temperature. It is 88 <laughs> degrees inside that. <laughs> Holy crap, I can't believe that. 88 <laughs> degrees in here. Well, my equipment. Get off of here and go drink some water, <laughs> for God's sake. Oh my goodness. All right. Hugs you look it. like a ranch hand right now. <laughs> Somehow you've gotten sunburned <laughs> while we've been sitting here recording. You're inside. I truly am. I'm in a giant diaper. I think that's a sign of a stroke. <laughs> it's very insulated in here, I'm finding. Why don't you install an AC? I've got one. I unit. just I took it down last winter because I didn't need it during the winter because it was in my way. Hey, oh, you didn't understand how seasons work? <laughs> nope. This is the first one I've been through. Oh, well, it's cold all of a sudden. I don't need this anymore ever again. <laughs> oh, I'm an idiot. Well, I'll fix it. Yeah, you'll put an AC unit up around November. <laughs> hey, you know my timelines. <laughs> you must have worked with me before. All right, well, I'm starting... Your pupils are huge. <laughs> I'm starting to taste purple, so I should probably go. <laughs> you uh, smell cucumbers? <laughs> All right. Hugs, everybody. I like that little sweat lodge. You shut your mouth. You shut your dirty mouth. <laughs>